Hello there again, everybody. This is uh, Jack Graham, along with my co-podcaster, John Peterson, based in Portland, Oregon. And John, say hi. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Go. Um, John's down in Portland. I'm up here in the Seattle area, and today we're very honored to have a, a dear friend of mine um, on with us. And I guess I say that about everybody, but I, I really do mean it. I'm very <laughs> Jack, privileged. you have a lot of friends. Well, yeah, I, I'm very, very privileged to know uh, John Barkley. Um, John is uh, a fellow workshop leader. Um, and uh, and as they say in all these podcasts, and an overall great guy. <laughs> but anyhow, John, welcome. Thank you so much for taking some time to be here with us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know John, I'm going to let him introduce himself. But uh, suffice it to say that, uh, you know, if you you really need to do workshops with other people, uh, whether you do them with myself, John, whoever, learn the craft from the masters um, and uh, and then figure out how you want to do it yourself. But do yourself a favor and get with John at some point. Um, you won't be disappointed. John, welcome. Well, thank you so much, Jack and John. Yeah, we have two Johns here, yeah. so yeah. it's going to be a figure that out. thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I think we'll be fine. John, why don't you kick it off here a little bit? I, I didn't mean to slap my desk there, but kick yeah, it off a little bit and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and your story. Well, I'd be happy to. Well, first, John and Jack, thanks for inviting me to be part of this series that you've been doing. It's uh, I have had a chance to go and listen and look at uh, the many great, talented people, and it did make me wonder, what the heck did you invite me for? <laughs> uh, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, my journey with photography started with a father who uh, was in World War II in Korea, and he had a whole bunch of two and a quarter negatives down in a big barrel, a plastics barrel, actually, because at that time I was the last child and he had been selling plastic extrusions. So he had these big plastic barrels of what they had the pellets in. And, and one day I was snooping, probably shouldn't have been. I, I suspect I got in trouble. Uh, but I found all these uh, pages and pages of what I then found out were negatives, uh, two and a quarter negatives that he was taking while he was doing uh, his bomb runs in a B-25. He was in uh, the same plane that Doolittle Raiders uh, flew. He was not in that raid, but he was in the military for, for 10 years, flew 63 missions in Joseph Heller's squadron of Catch-22 fame, that he was part of. Um, and I asked Dad, what are these? And he told me what they were. And, and then fast forward to... Not long after that, he built a darkroom for me when I was in high school, and and I start and I bought a Mamiya C three thirty Jack. That was my first oh, camera. Wow, how's your back? <laughs> yeah, it was a you know back then it was fine because I was a kid. Uh, but what a great camera, interchangeable lenses on a two and a quarter twins lens. You know it was it was great, and uh, and Dad you know introduced me to a darkroom just like he had done in the war and. And I fell in love with photography. Mom bought me uh, Ansel Adams' print and negative book, <clears throat> and I got involved with that. And but then, funny thing happened. I got married, you know. And, and then you focus on raising a family. John, so, would you would you like to say why that's funny? Uh, 
<laughs> I, you know, my wife does actually listen to these podcasts. But uh, so let me rephrase that. So, and then through a great stroke of a blessing from God, I met the love of my life. Was that better? Did that go? I think that's oh, yeah, going that to fly off. So much, much better. And 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 she was so wonderful that I completely forgot about photography, which is true, actually. And we raised a family. But then, and this is true. Um, she recognized that I was a crab and I was grumpy because I owned my own business. I was in the medical device industry for 35 years. I owned my own sales agency. I'm sorry. So, yeah, no kidding. Actually, it was a good run for 35 years. But at one point, probably, let me think, what was the time frame? Uh, uh, 19, I don't know, uh, late 90s, let's say. Coming into 2000, she, seriously, she said to she bought me a, a camera for Christmas. I didn't ask for one, and she said, "You need balance in your life because you're a grump. <laughs> All you do is work." And she was right. And so I went and took a workshop with the late great Nancy Rotenberg, who was absolutely my mentor and a brilliant photographer and an even better human being. And um, and that was it. I I got bit by the bug. And then it was the very same Nancy Rotenberg who in 2004 said, John, you know, you need to be a workshop teacher. You're born to do this. You just don't know it yet. And I looked at her and laughed because I was I had my own business. I didn't need to be doing that. Well, then she made it even worse. She said, John, I'm not going to do the Pocono workshops anymore. You're going to do the Pocono workshops now. And I said, no, I'm not. I have no interest. And she says, well, too bad. I've already told them you're signed up. And so that's literally how it started. I said no three times. She said, too bad. You're already signed up. I went up and did a workshop up in the Poconos and realized I loved it. I really enjoyed being with these people and helping them learn the craft, as you said, uh, Jack, of photography. But more important, learning or helping them get in touch with their own personal vision of what they wanted photography to look like. And so 2007, I incorporated and created Barclay Photography, had two businesses uh, until 2017, still had the medical uh, sales agency, and then... 2017, I finally said, you know what? This is what feeds my soul. It's what makes me happy. Why am I doing medical anymore? Let's just do photography. And then, of course, this year happens, <laughs> which has been a challenge, of course. But we're surviving, and we will survive. And I'm just grateful to have a loyal group of folks who, who choose to come along with us on uh, workshops and, and travel the world. It's, it's, it really, I see it absolutely as a blessing. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it. A little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't well, you're a lot older, Jack. Long. Yeah, I am. <clears throat> I am. I just turned 112 on uh, last Wednesday, and uh, <clears throat> if you hear me disappear here, it's I have to change my diaper every hour and a half. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a great. Uh, you know what? It, it's um, it's very rewarding to see. You know, there's a few people that I met early on that couldn't spell camera and you know i like to think i'm part of it most of them worked real hard on their own but it makes me feel good to see them uh you know matriculate into a uh you know a, a, a pretty good uh pretty good photographer and more importantly you know someone who appreciates the art of what we're doing as equal as the images that we see on their presentations yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, social media 
makes it so easy for so many people and the ability to have a camera, whether it be an iPhone or a camera, we, you know, we're just inundated with images, images, images. But I think kind of what you're alluding to, Jack, is what I feel, too, is that there's a lot of people out there kind of posting the same, 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 same stuff over and over and over again. And their their heart and soul is not into it. And that's what I've always loved about your work, the Tony Sweets of the world that we both know. Um Art Wolf, we were just speaking about. I mean, these people are fabulous photographers who you can see their signature or their soul, as I like to say, slathered, you know, all over their style, their images, their their work. Just like, you know, I know we're both music fans. You know, when I think about great musicians, I always want to talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan. I'm a huge blues fan. Uh, I'm a Matheny fan. You and I were just talking about Matheny. And, and again, those two guys that come to mind right away, there's a there's a sound, there's a an expression that they have with the way they play uh, that you it's undeniable. And two three notes, really, you know who they are. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Three notes, you know who's playing. And and so same thing with photography. I, I take a lot more joy in helping people to unfold their own or uncover, I guess maybe is a better word, you know, their own vision. And uh, so you'll never hear me in the field saying you should do this, you should do that, because who the heck am I to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do as a well, you're John Barkley. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's, you know, we were we were laughing about the rules earlier before the podcast and, yeah. and how. Yeah, you know, it's all about somebody's artistic vision and what they want to do. And, and our job as, as, as teachers is to help them realize their vision, whatever that is. Yep. Uh, rules be damned. Yeah, and then, and then help them achieve that vision. As a, you know, to me, the only rule is do I like it? Yeah. It, ultimately what it is. I mean, I, and, and so that's what I live by is do I like it? Uh, and I if I like more. it, great. If somebody else likes it, fabulous. I mean, that's icing on the cake. If they don't like it, it's not going to change my approach to photography because Jack Graham didn't particularly like this particular photograph today. <laughs> I quit caring. You know what I mean? It's I just quit not caring gonna... what Jack thought about my pictures years ago. <laughs> <laughs> good idea, Sean. Well, so, I, I have to think they're really good. But, um, John, isn't this a repeating uh topic that we've found in the last few uh, podcasts that we've recorded. It's amazing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's interesting a, to kind of hear the same themes across all of these accomplished photographers. And, and it's really about shooting for yourself. You know, you're not shooting for social media or you're not shooting for rules. You're shooting from the heart about what you pleases you. And that's the mark of a true artist, I think. Yeah, my, my catchphrase that everybody knows me by is photograph what makes your heart sing. That's yeah. that's that's my phrase, and that's how I use all the time. If you guys use that, I'm going to come Trade after Mark you. John Barclay. Barclay. Trade, well, yes, Bill, Bill Evans, the great pianist Bill Evans, recorded yeah, a tune that's on about 10 of his recordings called How My Heart Sings. It's great. Is it really? Oh, I need to get that and use that. Maybe a, maybe a slideshow. With a permission. Dating myself, slideshow. Image. I like it. So, I like John, it, but it's let me, true. Let me ask you a question, John. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with knowing a little bit about you, um, one of one of the things about you is your your photography is really contemplative. Mm -hmm. And so, could you talk a little bit for our viewers about your contemplative approach to photography? 
Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, you know, one of my favorite offerings that uh, that I help put together is in Hawaii with a gentleman named Flint Sparks, who is a dear friend and one again, probably one of the finest human beings I've ever met. He's a Zen priest. And he came to a workshop that I was doing there with DeWitt Jones and Ricky Cook and Jonathan Kingston, all in that geo guys. And man, I just, I enjoyed Flint so much and his contributions to that workshop as a relatively new photographer were just so good. And I was just kind of blown away. And as a matter of fact, I was so blown away. I was sitting there going, what the heck am I doing here? Because Flint can teach me way more about photography and he's had a camera for a year than I could teach him. It was great. And and what dawned on me, to make a real long story really short, is I sat there going, what the heck? Because he showed uh, his 10 images on the first night, just like everybody else did. He came to me that day going, I'm really afraid to show these images. And I was like, why? It's just, This is not a competition. We're just sharing our vision. Well, because I'm a brand new photographer. And, and they were breathtaking images. They were extraordinary images for a guy who's had a camera. And so what dawned on me after speaking with him for three or four days was his approach to photography as a Zen priest and a practitioner of mindfulness and contemplative or contemplative, whichever way you're saying, you know, practice, if you will, is what put him in a position. And so I literally went up and grabbed his shirt collars and said, Flint. I need you in my life because <laughs> I am not that person. And I said, we need to do a workshop together. So we put together a contemplative photography retreat. It is absolutely the best thing that I've ever been part of. And so to circle back, John, that's kind of the setup. Since meeting Flint back in 2014, 15, somewhere around there, I have really, really taken to heart his teachings about a contemplative lifestyle, a mindfulness practice, and I no longer chase after images anymore. I no longer go with preconceived ideas as to what it is that I am going. I'm not going to go to Cade's Cove in a couple of weeks, uh, where I'll be down in the Smokies again, and say I must get fog at Sparks Lane. Otherwise, I will be disappointed. Because guess what? I will be disappointed. And, and you probably have ten images. I already do. That's correct. And and so I'd rather I'm going to go and show up in the Smokies in a couple of weeks, just like I did out in Colorado last week open to whatever the universe is going to give me at that moment in time. And I have found so much more joy and pleasure in the process of photography, which, which I love talking about. I mean, you know, to me, how we show up as a photographer is way more important than all the technical stuff. I mean, crap, you can put a, any of these new cameras in P for perfect mode and you can shoot know, some P for professional. Oh, P for that's actually Dewitt and you would agree with that. P for professional, and and you can take really great images. But how you show up as a photographer to to the dance, to the party, whatever you want to call it, I think has a huge impact on how you're able to see. Or as Freeman Patterson would say, how do you see more deeply? Right? How do you right. see beyond right. the surface of oh, there's half dome, and I, yep, I've seen somebody do that, and it's great. And I'm going to do it too. How do you get beyond that image? And to me, a contemplative practice practice where I'm no longer chasing or forcing or grasping after things. I'm being much, I'm okay, John, yeah. if I show up somewhere and nothing happens. 
And I, that was never before. I was under pressure because I am a, quote, professional photographer. I must be able to find a great photograph everywhere I go. I no longer worry about that. If I show up and it's not working for me because either I'm tired or I've got something else on my mind or it's just not resonating, it's fine. And then usually what happens every time is once I get into that quiet space and I realize I don't need to force this, I don't need to do anything, guess what happens? About 10 minutes later of finally just chilling and relaxing and just being being one with the, the place that I'm at, all these images start to appear. And that's what I'm finding other people are starting to experience too. Just yep. being in a more contemplative space is allowing for way deeper, more connected images to happen. So do I get as many images as I used to? Probably not. Uh, do I think my work has gotten better in the last three or four years? Probably the biggest quantum leap in my work has been this last three or four years, and I attribute it to a different approach. That's, I attribute it to my camera. <clears throat> yeah, well, you do have a really nice camera. What, what, you, do you have a GFX? <laughs> no, I don't. No, well, I do. if you did, you'd have even better pictures. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you know, know you said that yesterday I spent the entire day <clears throat> up on Mount Rainier. Oh, did you? I took four, well, that's only an hour. I yeah. took four frames. Yeah. And I had a great day. Yeah. Well, you know, John, I I love hearing what you said because I think it, it really resonates a lot of what Jack feels and what I feel, which is, you know, you'll, you'll hear us talk a lot about slowing down and getting more in touch and in tune with your surroundings. And I think you said it much better than, than I could, but it's, it's, it's really that slowing down and, and, and getting in touch with how you feel because that feeling translates into your art and you can create much more to your, to use your words, connected images, which I think is fantastic. And it's, yeah. it's all about sort of, um, you know, there's a there's a quote out there. Uh, I can't pull the guy who quoted who first coined it, but you know, shoot shoot what it feels like, not what it looks like. Right. And yep. that's that's all about you know. If you're not feeling it, don't shoot. If yeah. you're feeling if you're feeling sad, shoot sad images. If you're feeling happy, yep. shoot happy. Don't don't go with these preconceived notions, but go with your feelings in a very connected sense to your inner being, and your art will reflect that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's and beautiful. I, and I think part of it is, too, is I think photographers, but just by the very nature of what we do, they don't they have a really hard time using the word you just were use, John, and that's art to think of themselves as an artist. And why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why can't we be artists? The fact that we don't have a brush and we put it on or a pencil or, or whatever, it, it's, it doesn't matter. We are still in control of our images and what's included, what's not included, and how nowadays how we post-process that. And to me, it's a very artistic endeavor. Yeah, it is. It, For, you know, we happen to use a camera to realize our art, but sure, we're artists. Absolutely. Yep. No doubt about it. And uh, and the more connected we are, and that's the thing that John, that I, I like that you tapped into that because it's it's so true. I mean, the the images that really sing or make my heart sing, whether they be yours or my own experiences with mine, I can tell you exactly what that moment was all about and what it was feeling like and the joy and exhilaration, or maybe sadness because it might have been a different situation uh, that invoked that too. But boy, those are the ones that you just. I mean, John Netherton. Did you know John, Jack? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, John John was married 
four times before he <laughs> yeah after he uh, told us that he was getting married the fourth time we kind of looked at him a little crazy and he says well i'm not going to do this a fifth time if i am tempted to do this again i'm just going to find someone i don't like and buy her a house <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, Netherton used to do the whoopee dance around his tripod. He, you know, he's yeah. such a cool guy. And, you know, that's I remember those moments. They don't happen every time I go out and photograph. They just don't because, you know, the conditions aren't quite right that day or whatever. You know? and, 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 the, and the same thing's kind of because we'll, we'll get to music here in just a second. But I was just thinking as you were talking, John, about you know, how you listen to a, a musical performer, whether it's a singer or a, a musician, and yeah. you can tell when they're playing or singing from the heart. There's a lot of emotion in what they're doing. And for me, yeah. I pick up on that and I get much more connected to the music that they're creating. Yeah. And, and the same holds true into the visual arts as well. I agree. Yeah, that, that's why I always go back to Stevie. I mean, I, the words I use are on purpose. They, he was slathered all over the strings of his guitar. His soul was laid out. Hendrix, you know, I mean, just laid out all over those strings. You you could feel it. Yeah. In, I mean, when when Stevie would play a note, like Jack said, three notes, you knew it was Stevie. And then after that, you just, I mean, you're scrunching your face and doing the stank face right along with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff. Yeah. No, that's so true. So true. Hey, John, before we uh, move on a little bit, um, okay. th th by the time this podcast airs, our uh -huh. prior podcast, maybe one or two, will be uh, will be with a mutual friend, uh -huh. <laughs> and John Peterson. You know where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. uh, uh -oh. Mr. Cole Thompson. Oh my gosh, Mr. Uh -oh. Celibacy himself. <laughs> <laughs> So when we had Cole on, <laughs> oh god, did he bring up my name? Well, uh, yeah, but uh, I don't know whether it was prior to or during. <laughs> John Peterson, you want to pick up on that? No, <laughs> no, you, you're doing great, Jack. You go. <laughs> I don't want Cole to get mad at me. <laughs> um, he asked. Uh, he, he said that you know there's a little bit of dirt going on, and that maybe you'd like to tell a couple stories. Oh, about Cole? Yeah. <laughs> I was just at his house, actually. When we fin we drove out to Colorado, we just didn't feel right to fly yet. And one of our our participants in our first you know post lockdown workshop to feel comfortable that we did not fly, and <clears throat> it's on the way home. It was just a couple hours out of the way, and so we went up to Cole's house. And I'm here to tell you, he looks awful. He just looks terrible. You, he has not cut his hair since February. Oh my god! Literally hasn't. And if you've known him heretofore, he had like a buzz cut, right? His hair is like seventies long right now. He looks like a hippie. <laughs> oh, but Cole, you know what? We've become dear friends, and we really have. I I love Cole like a brother. Uh, I totally disagree with him on on so many things. No, actually, I agree with him on a lot of things. But, you know, the photo celibacy one that he's well known for, he understands clearly that, you know, a lot of folks don't, you know, are not going to subscribe to that. But I, I just don't have it in my heart to, to tell any real, real big time dirt on Cole. That would just be not nice. Well, I don't think he meant dirt. I think he had he said that very affectionately. Oh. 
And uh, that's why uh, one of the reasons it reminded me to, you know, I mean, I think you and I have been talking about a year. I think we yeah, tried, uh, tried out in the Acadia, New York last year, but uh, he's to get you on here. And I'm, I'm so happy about that. Well, and he is a good guy. He, he, uh, he and I do throw the sarcasm around a little bit, and we've gotten ourselves in a little bit of trouble with a few John, people. we never do that, do we? <laughs> no, never. It's never. a guy thing. You know, women do not understand. We, we did a, uh, a session recently. It was a webinar-type teaching thing, and Cole and I were part of that. And, and I mentioned something about his hair because it was, it was terrible. <laughs> you know, and he laughed and he knew I was just kidding, but somebody got a, a little offended by that. And, and, you know, look, it was a, it was a COVID hair joke is all it was. And it's not hurtful and no, it wasn't fattening. Nobody got hurt. And, and Cole thought it was hysterical and we laugh about it to this day. <clears throat> and, uh, but we can be quite snippy and snide with each other in, and then that's what you do when you actually like each other. Right. And that's kind of what guys do. I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, one of the most affectionate things my buddy Paul Levy ever told me was I was really excited one day because I'd find this was like version five of Lightroom. And I couldn't stand Lightroom because I'm a bridge, you know, Photoshop guy up until that point. And nobody can convince me why. Well, I finally had a light bulb moment and I realized that a catalog was different from your pictures. And I finally imported and I'm like, gosh, I get it. I get it. I love this. So I called up Paul, a good friend. So, Paul, I am so excited. And I tell him that whole story. And he goes, John, he says, you only have one good photograph. Just put it on your desktop. You'll be able to find it. (laughs) Now, that's funny. That is funny stuff right there. I mean, I thought that was a story. I mean, it hurt for just a minute because I thought he might be, you know, serious. But then I realized he was just being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Well, just, actually, John, that's very that's not very true because I did look at your work and uh, and uh, you know I I think that with uh, proper tutelage and stuff, <laughs> you could become one of the greatest billiards players of all. <laughs> so. That's why I have other hobbies, Jack. I'm working on my guitar <laughs> skills right now. So, so look at, but all, back to kind of all seriousness, John, looking through yeah. your images and your portfolio, you know, you have a mix of both color and black and white. What's your, what's your philosophy around shooting those two? Because you do both extremely well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it was interesting. So I was weaned on black and white, just like I was weaned on jazz and the music side of the world. I, I As a kid, I could care less about rock and roll. I was all about jazz. Um, and so I was all about black and white. And the, and the dark room that Dad built was all about black and white. And I was all about Ansel Adams. And then uh, when I met Nancy again, of course, her work was all color and in your face color with beautiful floral photography and drop dead gorgeous images. And so I was inspired by Nancy to try that genre too. But if I had to say where my heart lies, it's probably still in a black and white image. I just love stripping away color so that gets out of the way. And then we're left with what I like to call the soul of the image, the bones of the image when we remove that. So for me, um, it is conscious. I mean, like Cole, people, because Cole and I do do workshops together. We do Death Valley. We've done Pharaohs. We've done um, Colorado. Um, no, no, um, Oregon Coast together. And it's enjoyable to be with him. And, you know, it's really interesting to have him talking about 
uh, things because he's not going to give much, you know, because he he has that celibate attitude. So he hasn't seen many other images. But for me, he and I agree on this. When when we're taken by something, and I think that's what happens, honestly, we don't go take images. We're taken by something, and then it's our responsibility to figure out how to interpret that in a way that reveals what we were taken by. Um, and if it is about bones, if it is about essence, if it is about graphic design and so forth, I'm I'm seeing it in black and white. And as a Fuji shooter, I will then switch my viewfinder to black and white actually right away and start previewing in black and white and, and composing that way. But if it is color that I'm responding to, and I'm generally asking myself those questions in my own mind, you know, what is it, John? What's what's happening here? Well, you're in a stand of aspens, and they're glowing like crazy with blue sky reflecting in the water, and those all well, crap. That's a color image all the way. It's not going to be black and white, and so it's the same process, John. I'm. I'm keenly are trying to be keenly aware not always successful i'm normal like everybody else right but i try my best to be in that headspace that allows me to connect with what it is and then realize oh that's got to be black and white because that's what i'm really responding to is the graphic nature of this or the tones that i know are going to be converted in that versus the color because to me color is so visceral sometimes it just takes over you know and it can it can be blinding sometimes. Yeah, it can. It can. And I, and I think, I think you know, as you were talking, John, too, I think one of the things, because uh, I love shooting both black and white and color, and but, you know, black and white sometimes is even more difficult to execute well than is color because you don't have the, the crutch of color to fall back on. It's mm-hmm. all around composition with your structure and your textures and your forms. Um, yeah. it, it can be it can be even more of a challenge photographically than uh, than color is. I agree. Uh, so many more things work with color, right? Versus you know, go now. Cole would say everything works in black and white except for paint chips and rainbows. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what he says in one of his presentations. But I would disagree with that. I, I really would because there are many things. I mean, for instance, the some of these fall foliage images that I'm looking at from Colorado last week. They just don't work in black and white at all, and I don't see them that way. I'm I'm completely taken by the color you know, that's going on at that moment. But you're right. There are certain things that you can try your darndest to convert it to black and white, and it's just not going to fit into that box. Yep. Uh, yep. And so people who – and what a sad state of affairs with Jack Curran passing away recently, very unexpected. I, I don't know if you guys knew Jack. I didn't know Jack well. We met uh, once or twice, but yeah. – uh, you know, he's younger than me, and when it, when I hear that, it, yeah. it kind of yeah. He and I are the same age, sixty three. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it uh, well, everybody's younger than me, but uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of hits home. You know, take advantage of every day and amen. Great enjoy. black and white photography. You know, Cole. To me, the, the two guys that I just adore that I've followed for a long time are Chuck Kimmerly. And Cole Thompson. Well, and the third one, actually. I, I, I can't leave out Mitch DeBrowner. And I've had the pleasure to actually have Mitch along as a guest instructor out in, um, uh, mum, 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 shoot, Capitol Reef. There we go, Capitol Reef, Utah. And what an interesting, I don't know if you know Mitch's work. If you don't, he would be a great interview as well. A unique guy and and brilliant black and white photographer. I know his name. I've seen his work. I don't, I've never met him. Uh, yep. 
Happy to introduce you guys because he would be a good interview. Chuck's on the list uh, for parties too, by the way. You will love Chuck. You talk about a quick-witted guy. He is exceedingly funny and very quick. And so that'll be a laugh fest. I look forward to that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was eight, I was just one one quick thing to follow up on sure. the previous question, Jack. I'm I'm speaking of throwing sarcasm or funny stuff around. <laughs> I'm surprised your story didn't come out. So the Oregon coast in black and white, and uh, Jack, uh, you know, and I, and I think both of us, as I shoot the coast more and more and more, I'm shooting more in monochrome in black and white because uh-huh. yeah. it tells a truer story. And and I think Jack goes to abandon. Yep. Every time he goes to Bannon, he doesn't shoot in color anymore. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Cole's got a place in in the Bandon area. And that's oh, kind nice. of what got us to go there. Yeah, so he's been there a lot of times, too. And shooting yep. those sea stacks, it's kind of hard not to say. I mean, look, I've seen many, many brilliant color photographs from that area. But I agree. I think the shape and form that, I, that we're being uh, drawn to or taken by, it really lends itself really strongly to black. You're out there in the morning, you know, it, it can be fairly foggy. It's one of the few beaches that actually can have a nice sunrise, too. Yes. You're facing west. But um, and you're out in the morning in the fog, you're looking in almost monochrome anyhow. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of doing it for you, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Hey, uh, John, you know, um, we we both have this background in music going back um many years and we talked at length and we're not going to do that here because we can no, we'll bore people to death we will. but there are there are quite a few um ex musicians that have turned out to be pretty fair photographers yes <laughs> Just expand on what we were talking about a little bit in terms of that, in terms of the the relationship between creativity and music and creativity in photographic uh, art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ansel comes to mind, right? And uh, our friend, mutual friend Tony Sweet, yep. great jazz drummer. Um, and there's more. Well, we won't just keep going on that list. But you know, I've given a lot of thought to this, Jack, because. It is kind of interesting, and, and where I fall out, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, so I'll just go with it, and then you can uh, add add into it. But, you know, to, so I started out taking trumpet lessons, and so I was a trumpet player for eight years, and eight years of private lessons. They needed a baritone horn player in junior high school, so I did that. And then they ultimately needed a tuba player because they didn't have one, and that's what I fell in love with, played in the Dixieland band professionally for a while after high school, uh, played, you know, in states and districts and uh, jazz band and the whole deal, right? Well, in order to do that, you know, to get to those levels with an instrument, you have to be disciplined and know your instrument so well that it gets out of the way. And, you know, so when somebody in the Dixieland jazz band said, take it, (laughs) you know, you didn't go, but wait a minute, you know, give me the chart. (laughs) The chart didn't matter at that point, right? You were having to play from your soul at that point, from your gut. And you didn't, you didn't think I was going to play DCG. You know, you weren't thinking about the notes. You knew your craft so well that it just expressed itself through the horn at that point or through the saxophone, whatever your instrument was. And so I think that particular practice and to developing that discipline 
um, is the first thing that, that just translated so easily to, to photography for me. I wanted to know so bad about depth of field and f-stops and shutter speeds and the relationship and exposure and composition that I, I thirst, there was a thirst and a hunger just like I had for music. But then the other part of it was the creative side. So when they said, take it, you know, and it was your turn to do a solo, Again, you are learning that process or that the ability to play from the heart again. And that's why I think I'm so connected. And because somebody asked me recently in an interview, you know, how long have I had this kind of approach to photograph what makes your heart sing? And it really goes back to Nancy. So it's 25 years ago. It's not new to me at all. There's a lot of talk about it lately, and I'm happy to hear all the talk about it lately. I think it's great. It makes it does make me happy. But I've been thinking that way for a long time, and I do think it's influenced because of, because of music. And so it's hard to take a tuba around to party. Nobody cares, right? I try to say to people, let's sing along with Muskrat Rag. And people just look at me like, what's my, you know, they just don't get it. And so I taught myself guitar in high school, and I continue to play guitar, and I have a bunch of them in the ukulele. Much easier. to. And then so when I try to write songs, right, it's, it's a very creative process of writing music, which I've written a number of sappy love songs for my wife that I had door so much do you know uh do you know the name william bell bill but why do i know it? wait william bell he's a horn player bill bell tuba player oh he's a tuba player okay bill i don't know that tuba at indiana university huh? was the originator of the tuba christmas oh uh, i know that and bill um i was i was uh, privileged to play in a dixieland band in in bloomington when i was there oh with- my gosh oh my gosh wow he goes back into New York, and he's done a lot of studio work in New York. And and I grew up uh, living very close to Pee Wee Irwin. Great. Oh, how about that? Wow. Pee Wee was like a father to me, and um, that was uh, how I got involved. But you're so you're so right. And you know, um, in 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 jazz, you know, we take a we take a tune, which is like uh-huh. our subject, you know, right? And we create, uh, you know, we improvise on that subject, and yeah, well, we take a photograph we looked at that subject we look at that subject and try to make our own little thing out of it you know yeah i love i love what tony says you know the the uh the raw file is just raw data it's just stuff to start with and that's just the starting place you know it's just raw data and it's your job now to take those processing tools and if you want to make just straight images what it was great if that's what you want to do i'm all for it or if you want to be a little more creative and add a a glow to it you can do that if you want to make it look like a painting you can do that i mean i'm all for doing whatever it is that you want your vision to look like but you're exactly right jack it's just taking it's taken that chart if you will and now improvising on it in the music sense it's taken that raw file and now producing something out of that um that is art, you know, that comes from the heart. You know, I just opened up a uh, an article that I had written on my blog. You know, huh? I'm going to date myself. I looked at the date. It was written in 2011. Oh, my. <laughs> Back when I used to blog, too. Yeah, it's called, it's called um, uh, Finding Yourself, Know Your Acts. Ah, interesting. An acts, for those who are listening um, to musicians, that's an instrument. And I'm going to ask John to repost that on this uh, on the show notes here. I just sent him the link. Um, it, it repeats everything that John you said so correctly about knowing your your, your equipment. Um, 
because it ain't about the gear. It yeah, no, it's funny. I was hoping that you guys would ask me about my gear list and all my favorite things because that's that's what I prefer to talk about more than anything else. You know, we've only got a few minutes left here, and I'd like to just take a minute because people are going to want to know. Yeah, or not. You know, how, how many times, uh, John, on a workshop do you talk about? creativity and then you had to do a Q&A and they asked what filters do you use and yeah actually my my folks thankfully not near as much I don't know if you're asking your John that question or me I'm sorry did I interrupt? you 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 yeah. and I'm finding that's going away too which is a good thing just tell everybody you know just basically what's in the bag these days and what you're playing around with yeah because I mean look I'll give you my quick two cents here's how I feel about gear Find a camera and lens, you know, a set of equipment that you'll use. To me, that's more important than anything, right? I just happen to fall in love with Fuji's aesthetic, Fuji's files, but more importantly, just the cameras. I love the way they look. I know that sounds stupid and it shouldn't have anything to do with why you get a camera. But for it's it's no different than a set of golf clubs, man. I had a set of staff tour blades because they looked great, felt good in my hands, and I ended up being a better golfer just because I just love them. Fuji, I love. I don't care whether it's Olympus, Nikon. I don't care. They all make great gear. Just find what works for you and use that. So I've settled on Fuji. I'm a I'm an XT3 guy and an XT2, and I have an infrared converted camera because I love um, 720 nanometer infrared. And I shoot anywhere from wide to uh, you know, 400 millimeter, which is what, a, on a crop camera, 650 telephoto, uh, because that's where I am. I tend to live on the edges of that world. I love wide angle photography, but I also like to isolate and do small scenes. Those middle ranges don't get used near as much as those the, the 100 to 400 and the 1024 of the, uh, the, gear, the gear that I tend to grab at probably 90% of the time. And I'm a Singray ambassador, so I I, uh, I love Singray filters, and I use their filters. I'm a lens baby ambassador and fan, and so when I want to get into that creative headspace, uh, whether it be just a soft focus with their velvet stuff or whether it be using like a Sweet 35 or Sweet 50 setup, I love uh, what lens baby offers as another unique or creative paintbrush if you will uh in in the bag well good uh john peterson you have anything left for just, john just Wait. the uh just one more story from you john about okay. uh about maynard ferguson yeah we've been talking about uh music music yeah. and that's a it's a fun story guys and i don't know when you put the podcast up, um, I don't know. You can't put pictures up of that, can you? We can. Oh, you can. Yeah, well, maybe you do because if anybody enjoys the story. But I've, I tell the story in a lecture. Well, in 2005, I was at a Maynard Ferguson concert because he was my hero as a child. I adore Maynard and drove my parents crazy because I used to try to play along with Maynard's high screeching notes, and I drove my parents crazy, but that's another story. Um, so anyways, I was at a concert at the local high school here. I had a monopod, and my very first a Canon uh, was a 1D Mark IIn or something like that. And I had no, I'd had it for two weeks, and heretofore it was all film. So I had no idea what I was doing. I was on a monopod in the front row. I'm the only one there, and I make these photographs of Maynard. Well, fast forward to August time frame of the next year, I hadn't even edited the pictures because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to process a RAW file uh, really well. And I took a whoever, Kelby course or something in, in Philadelphia, 
And I realized, oh, hey, I know what to do now. I started processing those images, got some help from a friend to finish them up. And I put them up on August 23rd of uh, that year. I think it actually was. So I must have done the pictures of 2004, 2005. Um, in August 23rd, I put up on then photo.net. There wasn't anywhere to share images prior to that, right? It was just photo.net. And the next morning I wake up and one of the first comments I see is, Wow, that's so weird that you posted that image of Maynard last night because he died last night. And, of course, I got goosebumps. I was like, that's just weird that I would take him in November. I would post it on August 23rd, and he passed away the night that I posted that picture. And so Jeff Lashway, his uh, piano player, happened to join Photodonet just to comment on that picture and say, somebody saw this, told me how much they loved it. That was my boss and my dear friend. That's one of the best pictures I've ever seen of him. I got you know a direct message to him and said, let me get a picture to you. So I sent him a photograph. To, and then it dawned on me that maybe the Ferguson family would enjoy some of these images I made of Maynard back in November. And so I got a hold of Ed Sargent, his tour manager, and um, showed the images and said, look, you can do whatever you want with these images. I have no interest in getting paid. Maynard has given me so much joy. And Maynard, if you knew him, was a giving, 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 giving guy. He gave so much to the instruction of of, uh, education of um, trumpet music. And uh, so I gave it, and the family got them, and they were happy. And the next thing I know, they're being used for the tribute concert that was done in Missouri. They were on the, the lanyard. They were on the poster. I was thrilled. And then I got a call three months later from Ed Sargent. He says, John, I know you told me that we can use these images however we want, but I figured I'd, you know, this is a little different, and I don't want to just use this without having a conversation. And we're happy to pay you for the usage, but what you don't know is Maynard finished playing the last notes on his trumpet for an album about three weeks prior to his death. And it's going to be the one and the only Major Ferguson. That photograph. I mean, I think he died in 06, something like that. Yeah, so you're right. It was 05 then. November of 05 when I took it, and then he died in 06, right? And so, so they asked me, they said, we'd love to use that image on the cover of what will now be his final album ever. And, of course, I said, look, I... I already told you, you can use them however you want. I don't want a dime. I have no interest in making money on this project. It's not. It's just not right for me. It doesn't feel right to me. And so to be associated with Maynard's last album and have my image be on the cover of that album, is worth, it's priceless. I mean, it's one, I get goosebumps right at this moment thinking about it, to be associated with my childhood hero like that. And so... You know, circling back, John and Jack, and again, thanks for having me on. I tell that story at a time in my lecture when I'm saying photograph what makes your heart sing. I was the only one there in that audience with a camera because I adored Maynard Ferguson. And I wanted to just capture a snapshot of him for me (laughs) just to say, look, that is my man. And what happened from that? I had no intention of selling an image, giving an image, nothing. I had zero intentions. I was there to capture that moment and remember it forever in a photograph. And that turned into one of the most extraordinary opportunities and associations I've ever had in my lifetime for a photograph. Well, I'm going to, John, <laughs> I'm going to end this with a really quick Maynard Ferguson story. I, you know, I was privileged to just work with that, with one of his bands uh, on the road for a very short period of time. But 
you know, at night when you're sitting around, you know, you hear all these stories. So um, do you know the story about his his uh, time um, in the in the sixties when he was uh, playing India? LSD in India? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he was hanging with you know Timothy Leary. Yep. Oh yeah, <laughs> those people. And in fact, he he he. I think in the mid to late sixties, I think he actually lived in India. In and India, absolutely. Had some interesting music coming yeah. out of that. He taught. He taught. Um, you know, trumpet and bands over there for a while. He was pre- he was out there for a number of years, you know. And yes, he was. He had that. I think he recorded with that. Oh, he had that. What was the name of that band? Um, the Electric. Uh, I don't know. It's a crazy. It was a yeah, kind I, of. I'm not remembering either, but I know who you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but what a cool guy. I mean, he was he was he was an honest man. And yeah. And and brilliant in the genre that he was in. I mean, you untouchable in that genre. Oh, and, and I loved it. I mean, I just adored Maynard. Yeah, if Stan Kenton was still here now, he'd be saying that was the, I guess, other than Cat Anderson with Ellington, Maynard was the was the screech yeah. uh, screech guy of all time. Anyhow, John, thank you so much for being here. Um, we'll have to do this again maybe at some Would love to, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can get back in the circuit here and, and, uh, run into each other. I would love that. That'd be great. I was actually supposed to be in the Smokies uh, in a couple of weeks, but I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. We've decided to do it and I, and we're, we're happy that a group's coming here and then, uh, get back next year and uh, Good. my favorite place. But anyhow, thank you so much for being here, uh, folks, um, you know, John, do you have any workshops coming up you'd like? To well, talk? again, just a few, but the best place, you know, BarclayPhoto.com is the website. We are going through our thought process for what we're going to do in 2021. That'll be up pretty soon. There's some things up there already, you know, Yellowknife and the Auroras in the September of next year, okay. Olympic National Park next year, the Palouse, which I've been to 15 times. We adore probably my favorite place in the country to photograph the Palouse. So we're doing a couple of those. You're, live, you're going to be next to me here. That's right. Right out in your country. Well, you know, my mother and my sister and my brother all live in uh, Bellingham. Oh, good. Yeah, there are neighbors out there. So I do have, and, and of course, I'd I love it if people want to follow me on Instagram. I think it's, what am I, John Barclay Photo? <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> at remembering. I think that's right, John Barclay Photo. Same on, on Facebook. Uh, would love to hear from folks and happy to answer questions that might have arisen from this that they have. And I'm always happy to talk photography. Terrific. And music. And music, too. Yeah, I actually, you know, in my newsletter, I add a music section every time I send one out to introduce people to the stuff that I'm listening to. Yeah, I think it's fun. I, 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 funny you said that. Um, I, I contemplated doing that, and I think I'm going to actually maybe put that little uh, headline on my uh, on my yeah. website. I think you should. It's called mine's called music notes. Yeah, yeah, they're just simple. And I have a I have probably ten people who absolutely love it, always comment on it. And if that's all that's ever going to look at it, that pleases me. If others you know get catch on that that's some good recommendations there, that's even better. But I just love sharing good music. I love music. Yep, it's all good. John, thank you so much. You're Let's- welcome. Uh, thank our audience again for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, what have you, it's uh, we talk photo at gmail.com. 
And, uh, of course, our website is wetalkphoto.com. You probably figured that out. Or you can subscribe on any of the major podcast uh, uh, subscription services that are around. Please do. Please like us. It helps. Um, what have you. If you have any ideas of people you'd like us to interview, shoot them our way, and we'll be happy to do it. Mr. Peterson, we'll be in touch. And thank you again, uh, uh, John Barkley and um Thank you all, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening.